gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by my cowboy partner julian darius julian how are you doing you okay uh i'm doing all right i am eagerly awaiting the singularity to reset this condemned world yeah can't come soon enough really i'm, I'm willing <laughs> to bow down to my robot overlords um I should say, actually, talking about that, this is a second recording. We did have this before, uh, and so this may be a slightly shorter episode for us to just to really hit on those points. Uh, I'm going to blame it on our robot overlords because they don't like us talking about their overthrowness. Not the fact that I appear to really screw up my recording. <laughs> anyway, today we are going to be hitting on Westworld Season 2. So uh, we're left on a little bit of a cliffhanger with Season 1. Um, it was a Dolores has come out as Wyatt and she kills Ford. And really, in a bit of a blue balls moment, the carnage that we've been waiting for, you're left sort of, uh, le left basically just about to start. But that is where season two starts. Um, and we get on from there. So, Julian, really, from your point of view, what, what are your overall thoughts then on season two of, uh, of Westworld? Well, I think season two is a very mixed bag. Mm. Um I will say, positively speaking, that about half of the material in this season is just, you know, A-level excellent, right? Mm -hmm. All the flashback stuff, the stuff with the Native American, the, mm -hmm. the stuff with uh, uh, the uh, corporation and, you know, the flashbacks to that, to Delos and, and all of this. Um, the stuff that's not in Westworld, that's in Samurai, Shogun World. That stuff is fantastic. All of that stuff is great. I really wished that they had segregated that stuff uh, into some sort of like, you know, mini series or something. The stuff that I all the present day stuff is basically awful and horrible. And and I think it all misses the promise at the end of season one where you're going to get to the robot revolution. And we don't see that carnage. Instead, we, you know, just go. Everybody goes off on their own stupid little missions. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> not much the same really i mean it's it's a, like you say a bit of a mixed bag the stuff in this i really like you know and you do sort of like nod your head and again that will come to the uh, the episode of the with the native american uh host which is absolutely fantastic and probably the standout episode of this series if i'm of this season if i'm perfectly honest uh, and there's other bits of story bits where i'm like yeah that's a good idea i'm all for that and i like that and I, like you say i like all the flashback stuff you find this off with logan when it's sort of revealed what Westworld is set up to do what their original purpose and that all fascinating. I like the concepts, and then you get to like what Dolores is doing, and as you you know you sort of say it's all a bit of a mess. It it never lands well to the point of about halfway through the season, I'm rolling my eyes and hoping to go back to another part of the story every time it comes back to Dolores, and I, I realise mm -hmm. that that's a real shame. 
because it shouldn't be that way. She should be the centre of the story. And it sort of becomes this almost like, by the end, by the very end, it almost becomes a bit of an annoyance where I'm like, yeah, all right, I get what you're doing, but I want to go see what Maeve is doing. I want to go see what, you know, uh, like the, you know, William is doing or someone else. Um, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it just feels... She becomes almost heavy-handed in, in her in her treatment. Um yeah, she's know. a totally different person. I mean, you know, I talked about the glee at the end of season one, and she's just that person now, right? Like some switch is flipped, and now she is just, you know, she's mowing people down in the first scene, and she never stops. I will say I do love uh, the plot with her and Teddy, uh, sort of reprogramming mm. Teddy and Teddy's, you know, her having made him strong enough to kill himself, I think is devastating. Um that's good stuff. But as you say, every time it cuts back to, I, I won't, I, I think the Maeve plot is bad too. The Maeve plot with the daughter, you're like, that's really good up until you get to the daughter. And then you're like, what are we going to do with it? Oh, of course, there's a new mother for her, right? That's mm. been reassigned. I never really thought about that. You're going to be disappointed. Maeve hasn't made any reference to that. Clearly, you're going to be disappointed. All right, great. Here's Westworld doing what I want Westworld to do. Instead of exploring that, Indian attack right at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? What show is this? Well, this that that actually is one of the biggest flaws of this season is is the blue balls effect. Like it keeps it, it almost like intellectual blue balls, for want of a better phrase. Like it presents a really good idea, and you go, Oh yeah, okay. I see where you're going with this. And then it's like gunfire, action. And you're sort of like, no, 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 stop a little bit. I want to go back to this idea of immortality achieved through, um, you know, digital consciousness. <laughs> that was interesting. Go back to that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just has a habit of doing it. But it starts from the very beginning. I mean, you get this almost like Planet of the Apes scene of her, you know, uh, charging along on horseback, Dolores charging along on horseback, shooting people down. You say about the glee. And yes, I know she's now become combined with Wyatt and all this other stuff. Like it's part and parcel of it. But it's it's it seems less about revolution and more about just wanton carnage, which is aimless. And if anything, I think that's sort of what I become for at least the first part of the season. I'd say she is aimless. Like it's it travels from one scene to the next. It's just basically like proving firstly how badass she is and stuff, but doesn't seem to have any real objective. I'm not, I don't know. No, I, I mean, by the end, you find out she had an objective, but mm. I, I almost feel as if, like, the show doesn't understand what it is that we like. Um, you know, season one is, is so brilliant on so many levels, but its weaknesses are that it has to have the overarching conspiratorial master master plot. It's got to have twists, and the twists aren't, like, character decides in, in present day to commit suicide, the twist is aha! There are mm. two different you know, narrative tracks, right? The time periods. Um, you know, it's that sort of like, um, you know, Shyamalan sort of pull the rug out from under you kind of twist. And um, and season two, all of the, the big narrative stuff, right? You know, Dolores has a plan. All of that is horrible. Those mm. plans, I mean, Ford, you know, Ford is back in this. The Ford scenes are really nice, but now we're left to believe yet more. Like he, you know, loved Maeve. Why did he love Maeve? You know, this was all part of yet another master plan. Enough of the master plans. That wasn't anything we liked about season one. Okay. 
you guys failed at all of those things. Mm. Why redo that that stuff? And and I feel like all, you know all of the flashback stuff is stuff that you know all of these like indulgent episodes, the episodes that are more self indulgent that aren't necessary for the main plot. That is the stuff that always works, and the stuff for the main plot is what always fails. And that seems to indicate to me your ideas about what the main plot should be are fundamentally wrong. Well, it seems this is one of those. The... One of the problems with a show like this is they are they are commissioned a number of episodes and that episode has to be a certain amount of time long. And so it seems to me, especially this, and we'll pick it up in season three as well, is they have so much time to fill. So they're like, okay, we've got certain beats, you know, certain plot milestones we've got to achieve by this episode or by this episode. So by episode six, we have to be here, all right? Because you sort of, oh, episode five, your midpoint, we have to be here. <clears throat> and all these things have to be in place to do that. Okay, great. But that might mean that the story for one character is incredibly dense and compacted mm. because there's a lot for them to do to get to that point. But the storyline for another is less compacted and less intense. So there's been scenes just sort of literally like, you know, chatting or meandering. And that's sort of like I said, the, unfortunately, because I think the ideas in this do fall to that outside those like you say the self-indulgent things that's where the ideas are that when it gets to that main plot it's a little thin and so mm -hmm. it, it, it's not moving at the same pace as everything else so it just never seems to catch up with itself um until yeah, the very that, end when they're like oh it's all going to converge and everything's going to happen now that main plot is super thin you know right but so much happens in that main plot right i mean it, it's yeah to it's fill yet the time another big, just, no but mm. i mean like do you really want to watch three episodes like that end with, you know, going to the, the secret Mesa where, you know, they've got the uh, download records of all of the guests, um, you know, and, and then there's another beam shooting up in the sky because, you know, it's fucking Avengers or something, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and look, there's stuff that's done well there, but I mean, that's that kind of like grand meta narrative of like, how many secret underground bases do we get? You know, we've got this like backup. Why does Dolores destroy the backup? Why is that important? So that we're, it's supposed to be so that, that we as robots are, you know, uh, have one life or something, you know, they can't just make copies of us. Um, why is that important? Wouldn't you want that information for yourself? Uh, you know, clearly most of them are not going to survive. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't understand. Like you say that the main plot is padded. I don't disagree with you, but it seems that there's so much happening in the main plot. Teasing that out and actually exploring it could easily take up the six episodes worth of stuff that is not flashback. Mm. Yet there's like four different major points that happen in those episodes, all of which feels like, I mean, the opposite of padded, it all feels like there's too much happening and none of it makes any sense or is explored in any depth. Well, again, because it, the main plot is the action plot. Like, that's what they're saying is driving the action. I mean, what, one of the things that I actually, you know, you say about sort of the, the stuff going on, one of the things when watching this that I had to sort of pull back from and stop myself at times, we talked about the in, in the first series, the dual narrative. You know, you've got the present and the, and the, the flashback, the sort of the young William, um, which obviously becomes the reveal. And it worked really well in that, for you know, because it was separated. It was separated enough that you could go, oh, this is 
this storyline, that storyline. So when it converts, you can guess and go, oh, they're two separate timelines. So it doesn't need to be shouted from the rooftop, but there's enough for you there to say, oh, we're picking up on this storyline. Okay. There was something about this one where there are scenes, and you know, maybe it's just me, but there are scenes where I'm like, I'm not sure whether this is the main, you know, the now, because there's two parts, they do it again, they have the, the parallel uh, narratives. And I'm like, okay, I don't know whether this is the immediate after the killing of Ford or the one, you know, they have like a time jump there, it's like three weeks or something. Where it's you, like two you, weeks, yeah. Yeah, and you're following Bernard. Uh, and the, the Delos investigation, and there are scenes where I'm like, I don't know which one this is for, and I have to sort of like take a step back because th- th- that demarcation between the two that was quite clear in the first series is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the first series, it's not, to be fair, it's not clear why you're going through it the first time, right? I no. mean, you you figure it out, but it, it, it in, at least in this one, it's they're not hiding it from you. You know from the beginning that you're following these two timelines. But I agree with you. There are scenes where I feel the same way. I'm like, wait a minute. Is Bernard doing this? Are we in this timeline? Which Bernard are we watching here? Um, But then you find yourself saying, why does it matter? Do I really care to figure out? Because, uh, first of all, I'm way more interested in the the flashback stuff. Like, I groan Mm. when I've got to go back to (laughs) the present day (laughs) stuff. Secondly, you know, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that it feels as if this is an entirely different show. Yes. Um, The rules of Westworld are totally different. I mean, like in the first one, you know that there are these other parks that's introduced in the final episode. Here, we visit the other parks and there's no sense of distance between them. You know, we see this, you know, the Raj uh, Park Mm -hmm, briefly. it's good stuff, um, but, you know, it seems to be right up on the border. And then all of the uh, robots have this this sphere in their head that, you know, is like their CPU. Um, now there's a backup thing, you know, there's another backup for the, you know, that you can understand would be secret for the guests and what you've learned from them. There's stuff in hats that to scan people. I mean, there's so much... In this, uh, Bernard, suddenly cortical fluid is really important, and then it's just abruptly not important. Like, it yeah. sets up that's... I mean, none of this is clearly in season one, and I know that you have to invent some of that to, to solve plot problems, but not only is all of that invented and added in ways that feel not in sync with season one, like, why didn't we hear about this or see this in season one, um, but then also it doesn't follow through on any of them, like Bernard chasing down cortical fluid. That's important for one scene. Yeah, it, 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 it comes up in multi, it comes up in several storylines. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's almost like they want to explain. They give you a demonstration of what would happen if Bernard, Bernard doesn't get it. So in the Shogun world with Maeve uh, and her crew, um, they come across like a Shogun ruler who is leaking cortical fluid out of his ear. And it's clear he's gone insane. Like he's making these weird decisions. He's glitching and all this other stuff. <clears throat> and obviously, that's you know they obviously include that in that storyline. But it's clearly only there. And the fact that I think one is it. I can't remember. Who, I think it might be Lee, the uh, the the script, the writer of all this sort of points it out. But they all know it's that's the thing. Yeah, that point seems to only be there to say this is what could happen to Bernard if he doesn't find his thing. But it, you know, it's actually more interesting in Shogun World. <laughs> 
because it plays yeah. out more interesting. Well, except, you know, to me, it's not even there for that. It's like it's like we did this thing with the Bernard plot, which we're not going to follow through on. Now we're in Shogun world and we want to show that he is just glitching and Maeve isn't going to be able to control him, um, you know, to make him a real threat and to say, like, it's not that he's achieved consciousness. It's that he's glitching and he's messed mm. up. I we have that cortical fluid thing. We could just do a callback and show him leaking a little out of his ear, which again, never seen in season one. So like, yeah, technically that's where Bernard is headed, except Bernard never gets any more cortical fluid. I mean, it seems to me that that cortical fluid is just like, oh yeah, hey, we've established that as part of the Westworld canon. Now we can, we can reference that as an indicator of why this guy is screwed up, but he's, there's no follow through, right? Like even that is just, a callback for the sake of establishing for the current plot mm-hmm. why this guy is screwed up and you're not going to be able to reason with him. It doesn't develop the concept of cortical fluid or this world any more than you already had. If anything, no. it's more confusing. Well, it comes down to thing again about, you know, the mechanics of the house, you know, and like you said, because we, we've seen them being built in, in that, you know, impractical laboratory with the glass windows. Um, you know, they are some sort of, they're almost like they are, um, bioengineered. They're a mechanical, you know, biomechanical engineering. They're they're technically, um, they are robotic, yet they are built in exactly the same way as a human. So you know, we've seen the muscle strands. We've seen the fact that they get injected with this thing that gives the color of their skin color. You know, they actually get you know the color from the skin is, is as it, the heart starts and all this other stuff. We've seen that happen. They're more like replicants than yeah, exactly standard robots. Yeah, and so that, but now you're telling me that, like you say, there's this thing in their cranium, <laughs> and then there's cortical fluid and all this other stuff. And you say, okay, and you say that's not come up at any point before, and you know we've seen these build processes and these sort of us. We've also seen things like a snake. We've seen things like uh, horses and cattle. And, okay, so do they all have this thing? And <laughs> is it? I don't know. From a mechanical point of view, it's that's almost awesome. like a. Well, not yes, they're like a little teeny marble in the side of the back mm-hmm. of a spider. Like I don't know, and I, I know it's not hugely important. I'm nitpicking, but it's this thing again around the mechanics. It's like okay, if you're going to set up a rule, or you're going to set up a you know the mechanics of how these things work, then you're going to have to sort of at least provide some sort of context around how that's going to be applied. And they don't. They just want to, like you said, they don't. No, no, it's it's going to come up for a story point later on. Right. Um, and that's well, it. I mean, that's the rule of all science fiction and fantasy, right? It's rule yeah. number one establish what your rules are within the universe. Those rules can be whatever you want, right? I mean, you know, but you cannot, you know, you if you ever add to them, you have to add to them very sparingly and knowing that you're kind of breaking a cardinal rule, doing yeah. it, so you better be careful. Um, you know, even in, you know, something like Harry Potter, you know, or magic, you've got to know how that magic works because if you suddenly introduce a spell that, uh, goes back in time and lets you save the day, why aren't you using that all the time, right? If there's suddenly a technology that lets you do that in science fiction, why aren't you using that all the time? Mm-hmm. Now your entire universe falls apart. Um, and Westworld clearly, I feel like season one is maybe forgivable in not doing that as much as it needed to if it were going to be a long-term show. Having, you know, having said that, once you're like, okay, season one was a big hit. We've got an order for season two. We've got to figure out how to follow this through up and, and you know, really show this revolution. Um, 
at this point, we'd better nail down how all of these things work. And you're going to have those conversations in the writer's room. I have those conversations like working with Mike on Necropolitan, where it's like, how does hell work? How, you know, we, mm. we, we've had those conversations where we just poke holes in each other for, you know, day after day after day until yeah. you figure out how this works. Somebody needs to be in the writer's room saying, okay, is there a, you know, little sphere inside a snake head, you know? And, and if so, if you've got skulls of like snakes and stuff, you know, do they find that sphere? You know, do Native Americans who kill a snake or, you know, do they find that that sphere in there and say, what is this? Biology isn't the same in our universe as, as theirs. It, yeah. And that's the thing, is it? And that, that's sort of, like, you know, there's, there's a bit of that with the mechanics of this. Um, and like I say, you're not really supposed to ask those things. You're not really supposed to ask those questions. Unfortunately, that's what we're here to do. Um <laughs> Uh, but it also applies to some of the story points you you mentioned there about uh, like the revolution, the robot revolution. Like Dolores has this plan, and it's this idea that we come to at the very end. But it, it sort of becomes quite evident at one point, you know, after a while, that this revolution isn't for everyone. Mm. Because at no point is she sort of like we shall all rise up. Because she's at some point she's just as willing to kill hosts as she is guests. Like she's she's indiscriminate about who and how she's killing people. I mean, we talk about yeah. um, you talked about some of the story points. She actually goes, her and Teddy go to uh, like a, an encampment of, I suppose they're supposed to be, I don't know, like Mexican it, soldiers, it, it, or, isn't it? Confederales. Confederales. Yes. Yeah. So they were like uh, people still fighting the civil war, you know, that part of the south. Yeah, and they end up having like a, a sort of a siege battle with some of the the Devos. Um, uh, you know, s s troops that come off, but she's willing to sacrifice all of them. In fact, she does. She sacrifices, you know, a whole bunch of them into an explosion in order for them to be, for her to sort of, you know, ga gain her um, an escape and to do what she wants to do. There's none of this sort of like we are standing as a united front. It's more okay. It all it seems to be all about her. So the more and more I watch it, I'm more like, yeah, she just comes across as selfish rather than a revolutionary leader. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and that scene, I think, is one of the, the worst scenes in the, in the season. It illustrates this trope that uh, the show does very poorly. Um, and, you know, um, I know you have thoughts on this, of the sort of uh, noble sacrifice that allows others to escape, right? Mm. In that scene, Dolores just orders the doors closed Right as the Confederales are unmasked, <laughs> retreating right into the fort. And then they just pound on those doors as they're mowed down and shot. And I think the show is trying to tell you that because of their sacrifice, that this is some sort of like ploy to delay the Delos people. And, and somehow this achieves some sort of strategic advantage for um, Dolores, except that's clearly not the case. <laughs> And in the same way, uh, the writer sacrifice, you know, it's like we're pinned down, you know, all right, everybody run away while I distract them. No, first of all, you're not pinned down. You clearly could have run away at any time. And your idea of distracting them is just, you know, to walk into the open and get shot, basically. Like, that's not even a good distraction. None of the same thing is true with Maeve at the end. You know, none of these sacrifices are really logical for anything. And as a consequence, I don't feel anything about them. 
Yeah, the, the, there's the, 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 like you say that the um, strategic sacrifice or the you know that sort of that thing in a story, when done well, can be like a real emotional gut punch. You know, you get that moment where you know someone's a bit injured or whatever, and it's like the final stand of like I can give you that extra five minutes you need to do the job that needs to be done to, to for the greater good. Mm. And you go, okay, there's a character that's going to do that. It's a little cliche these days, but like, you know, when done well, it can be really good. I mean, you know, the one that comes to mind if you want to work robots is is Miles Dyson in Terminator 2. You know, stays behind in, in uh, Cyberdyne with his hand over the trigger for the bomb so that, you know, Sarah Connor stuff can escape. And it's also a distraction from for the police then to go the other, the other way before mm. it goes off. It's got heart. It makes it's sort of you know. It makes sense for the greater good. You know, blah, blah blah. He's bought into the sort of the whole wider thing. That works mostly, but with this, like, there's nothing in this that works. Especially the sort of the writer when he stands up and just gets mowed down. Like he starts reciting that one of his monologues that he'd given to Hector, and like, <laughs> you know, it gets mowed down. And I'm just like. Well, that didn't that didn't stop him at all, did it? They literally just shoot. Like, he didn't stop anyone. He doesn't protect anyone. They've just run off. If anything, right. maybe maybe the only thing that confused maybe gives them a few minutes because they just stand there confused. Like, what's this? What's this pellet doing? <laughs> do, do we shoot him? They clearly think he's a host. You know? No, so, no. I think they know who he is, and that's why hmm. they they don't fire right away. Right? Yeah. They're like they're begging with him to stop. And I love that he's reciting that narrative. Like, mm. you know, I love his his arc such as it is. I mean, it, it's it's not the smoothest of arcs. But, I mean, I love the idea. I mean, he explicitly says that he has not gone into the park, right? He, You know, and so, you know, which I don't know that that really makes sense. But, I mean, I love the idea of, like, it's a bit cliched, right? I mean, we're writers, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, those writers, they never have real lived experience, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah, come on. Uh, you know, knowing him as a drunk and, you know, uh, you know, I would think that he would go into the park if only to. But but I love that he gets to finally live out the dramatic, melodramatic uh, sp final speech. But yeah, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, so so you shoot him. You're maybe thirty seconds delayed, and now they're running on foot. You're, they're just gonna get mowed down as much as they would before. And so, I mean, so you get this very nice scene, but it just doesn't make any sense. Well, that's one of the things that the, with the main plot, or at least some of the main narratives in this, that seems to drive a lot of this. Is it looks good, and I, I will not, I won't dink this show for looking good because. It's it's, it's visuals are absolutely stunning, and it, it, there's a couple of scenes in this that are fantastic, and we'll get onto those in a little bit. I think we'll call out some specific, but so visually, yeah, this this film is spot on. It's stunning, but in order to sort of achieve some of those looks, they they clearly sometimes have scenes in mind, and they're like, we want to get to do this scene. I've got these this idea. Okay, well, let's maneuver into that from a story point of view, and sometimes it's clunky to get there, um, which is fine. You know, it, it, I know that that happens in all mediums. You know, well, I love this scene. It's so I really books, films, everything. Comics do it. I know. I know that's, that's fine. But um, I also like that some of the little sort of Easter eggy bits around the, the writer as well. Like when they get to Shogun World, and um, you meet basically the sort of the the woman, the, the equivalents of the woman with the, with the snake tattoo and, and Hector's counterpart, and it's clear they're like he's like what. Well, 
I had like 700 people, like characters to create. Of course, I'm going to copy myself. Like, why shouldn't oh. I? And I love the fact that they've done it. And, you know, the, the guys they got to play it as well are really cool. Like, it's a, I love Shogun World. Like, I think I'd get a Shogun World probably over Westworld, at, you know, at some point. Um, well, you know, that is said that Shogun World is for the people who they think Westworld is too tame. So yeah. you are revealing a lot about yourself here. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, this comes to some of the points we we we'll get to because I think Shogun Mode looks cool. Like you know, I love the idea about it, and it's a you know, it's completely different. Um, you know, ethos. It's a completely different tone. It's weirdly got um, what's the mountain that sort of sits over Tokyo and stuff? Uh, Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji, which I'm sort of like that must be some sort of projection because. <laughs> That's weird. Like how no, big that's is real. That is a real. That, it, it's not Truman Show, right? They don't have like a giant wall there. I don't but know. They, you I know, don't you, know how that. I don't know how that works. You can't see it from Westworld, though, right? No, no. There's no. Yeah. Um, so, but it's cool. It looks good. But th- this brings up one of the things, and we sort of mentioned it in the last show. But it brings up a real serious point about how this park works. So with guns, as as in the film and as in the first series, you're shown that um, you can't shoot a guest. And there are technical reasons for that in some way. Some way there's a technology that prevents that within the gun, most likely. Right, right. Uh, and in this, they show again, they sh- the, the, when they're in Rajwell, they sh- they sh- you see William's daughter sort of shoots a guy to prove that he's a guest. So he gets a hit with a blank sort of thing. Um, however, in Shogun World, They've just got lots and lots of sharp objects. <laughs> right. And they're butchering each other. Spears, swords, you know, katana, all these sorts of things. How does that work? <laughs> if you it get doesn't make a, any sense. Yeah, if you get into a sword fight in Shogun World, and let's be honest, like I'm clumsy with a knife and fork, so you know, I'm not going to be particularly suave with a with a with a katana or a sort of samurai sword. So yeah, how do they prevent guests from getting hit with the weapons? <laughs> Well, I own Katana, and I don't yeah. think that I would be uh, trusted with it, you know, not mm. to, to know the difference between a guest and a, and a, and a host, for sure. No, I mean, it, it makes no sense. But it, it goes, even in Westworld, that's a problem. It's just that you can kind of ignore it, right? People mm. get stabbed all the time. Think about all those bar fights where it's like, you know, you get hit with a bottle. Bottles, you know, they're not like breakaway sugar bottles like in the movies. <laughs> you get hit clung to the head with a bottle. You're going to have a concussion or something. Mm. Uh Guests are being just mutilated all the time. <laughs> well, they should be. But in Samurai World, it's just going to you know, happen in all of these fights. How do you... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but this is part of the having thought about it in that writer's room that, that should have occurred. And you can, I can kind of forgive it about season one, but I certainly can't about season two. Like, mm. you know, they don't even know how those guns work. Right. It's clear, you know, if they knew better how those guns work, they would throw in a few lines of dialogue mm-hmm. just to explain it. See, we have had that writer's room conversation. We thought about it. And it cannot be that those swords are like actually dull. But when they contact the flesh, the, you know, nanomachines or, or whatever is like, oh, processing injury at this trajectory, create wound. No, that's clearly not happening. Those yeah. swords stab into walls and everything else. No, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, we see Maeve cut someone's head off with one of those swords. Like, it's a host. Granted, it's a host. But she still cuts her head off like with a sword. Yeah, those swords are sharp, and they are proper mm-hmm. weapons. 
So yeah, you know, it's probably why you, you don't see many guests at Shogun World because they're all a bit like, <laughs> yes, it's, like, it's lethal. <laughs> well, and in theory, you could say that you know the the robots have uh, the hosts have something in their CPU, right? That's like you're about to hit a guest, you've got to stop, right? Mm. The CPU is just adjusting that trajectory or making them miss, you know, or or something. That would make sense, except we've already we see uh, hosts beat the hell out of uh, the man in black, you know. Mm. Um, we've seen hosts, you know, do, even before uh, the revolution, you know, supposedly screws with their code. Um, so yeah, it doesn't. How would that even work? I mean, I I could buy that, but they don't even. Think of that. That's no, they don't, they don't want. They don't want you to answer it again. It comes down to this visuals. So they're looking at it and going, mm -hmm. "The visuals are cool. Isn't it great? We've got this. Don't ask questions about it." You know, the visuals and the plot twist and the you know like the big narrative, right? Ford's yeah. secret plan. You know, stay tuned for season in episode ten. You'll find out the Loris's secret plan. That's yeah. It's the, it's the little <laughs> banner that comes across the bottom of the screen. Is it next episode? Um. <laughs> It, but that's the thing, you know. It's 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 clear that that's what's driving this at times, uh, as you say, and the visuals. Um, but talking about Shogun World, I mean, let's talk about Thunder Newton and and Maeve. Like her story is relatively interesting. I think you know this whole this drive for her to find her daughter, and it drives her on, into this thing. And she gets like her little band, and I like the fact she collects people as she goes. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of like it, it's this cool little. It seems to make sense because it's it's. It feels natural that you know she gets the two engineers to come with her. She sort of forces them along, but they, they eventually they sort of like through, um, you know, just sort of just because it's the best way the best way to survive. They end up joining her anyway, and then you've got like the writer and you've got Hector and the woman with the tattoo and also, like she's creating this little band. And I think that that story I can't I enjoy. <clears throat> and then sort of like to get what she needs, she'll do these little side missions and goes on and off like. Again, I'm enjoying that. It's it's you know it's all leading to this convergence at the end. At, what's it called? The Valley Beyond or whatever. <clears throat> but I'm not really bothered by the the ending. I'm just this. That's the one story I'm, I'm literally enjoying the the journey um, of of that story. Um, and I think mainly it comes down to the fact that Thandie Newton's actually just really good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean she. You know, uh, Maeve is definitely the the, the best. Uh. Um, you know, on the show for sure. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with you that that's more enjoyable. I still, I still don't like this kind of like in in episode. I mean, to me, episode one of this season just kind of destroys any hope that you have that this is really going to follow through on you know the ideas of season one. That you know, I mean, I, I would love to have seen. All of that flashback material, including the Native American stuff, all of that done as like a mini series. You do a six part mini series between seasons, like like we do, you know, mm -hmm. like we're currently in with Westworld, and um, you know, and and that would have been like a plus material. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. just an A thing, you know. And then really, all we want for season two is this is your payoff, right? You think about the original Westworld movie. The first half of it is, you know, sort of rising action, establishing Westworld, seeing, you know, some malfunctions. And then the second half is like, now we get to enjoy, you yeah. know, the carnage. 
we had in a lot of violence in the first mm-hmm. season, but now, you know, the gloves are off. Um, and instead, you know, I, I mean, the Maeve story is definitely the standout compared to Dolores, although I like the Teddy stuff. But, you know, still, it's like, I'm, I'm on a quest. Everybody's mm-hmm. on a stupid <clears throat> quest. And none of those quests really have to do with the main story. They don't have to do with the revolution. I would have loved to have that main story just be basically the walking dead. Like, you know, Delos has come in, you know, obviously, you know, Maeve can still be searching for her daughter because that was established in the first season. But, you know, Dolores is like, no, we're building a real army. We're taking on Delos and we're going to get out of here en masse. Um, And, uh, you know, we're just going to fight it out and we, we see the, the different camps fighting and, you know, losing people and all that typical Walking Dead stuff just done with glorious HBO money, glorious HBO videos, Westworld style, you know, decided clever <clears throat> twist turns. And it was we, like eight episodes of that. I'd love it. I'd there, I mean, there's a really, there is a, yeah, there is a really cool story there to be had to have this idea of a modern army taking on not just the hosts, but this idea of stepping back in time and sort of having a modern army taken on on something from history, especially if you sort of had it much like, um, you know, I mean, you could have, if you, if you really want to throw themes in there, you can have it, you know, you can do your Afghanistan or your Vietnam themes of modern army taking on guerrilla warfare and, and a much, you know, smaller force <clears throat> and having her campaign and become this sort of, like you say, this guerrilla leader in the hills, um, you know, leading this Say Guevara. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, like, yeah, have yeah. that. That'd be cool. Lead us to that. But like you say, it never happens. It becomes this question. It's close. Like it's closer to like Lord of the Rings. It's like you know, like I say, this thing of going off to find this MacGuffin for each of them that they want. Mm. Um, that never really, like you say, is never really that interesting. Um, yeah, so I agree. Actually, that would have been a much better show, I think, much better season. It'd be interesting to see how that goes. And it would have actually given you more excuses to have things like, you know, the fact that they, they've all of a sudden find out these outposts all over the park that, that they that you know, it was never mentioned before. Tunnels between a lot of them, which makes no sense um, and could have probably saved a lot of people's lives at other points in the story. Um, it would have, yeah, that would have been quite interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I just... I, there's not much to say about like the Dolores storyline. If we get to the end of that, <clears throat> and this idea of them all getting to what is it, the cradle, mm. and then the reveal of what it is that the park's actually all about. Because you get the Logan flashbacks, don't you? The old man, the the angry Scots guy. Yeah. And you, you, I, I like all that stuff. Like we said, we talked about the flashbacks. Probably worth mentioning those first. And you get young William, and you under, now understand that the. The Delos are looking to digitize consciousness so that you can have some form of immortality, and then you get put into a host. And you see them trying this with this old guy and and this iterative conversation to see how much sentience he has, which never seems like sentience because he has the same con- the same conversation over and over again, uh, and then glitches like you know Robocop two style the moment he realizes he's actually a a, a host, and then they burn it down, which seems expensive. Um, but that that, all that, that stuff, looks cool. It do, again visuals, not yeah. story point visuals. But that whole idea that this is actually set up to to perfect the idea of digitized consciousness. I like that. That's a cool idea. Um, but it, then when it gets into the end, it sort of fizzles out again. 
Yeah, well, this gets into this this problem that the show has all along uh, of sort of like, is there free will or not in this universe? Mm -hmm. And the whole idea that, you know, these these, you know, recreated people um, glitch out when they realize they're, you know, a a replicant is utterly absurd. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could process that if you told me right now, you know, that uh, my life didn't begin until uh, a second ago and actually i'm a, a immortal robotic being you know i'd be like cool you know <laughs> like i'm not i'm not traumatized by that i might be a little over time but i mean i could deal with that it, this just it seems so absurd i'm not bothered by the fact that um he has sentience but he repeats the same lines because i think that you know my own personal view is deterministic i, I think you know our brains are computers given mm-hmm. the same, you know, the same um, evolution, right? The same set of experiences put us in the exact same situation. We will always come up with the same answer. Yeah. Uh, and we will always think that we went through a process of radiocination to decide that. And we did. But that process is always going to produce the same answer given the same inputs. Um now change those inputs a little, you know, I give you memory of the last time, maybe that changes a little, but I'm not bothered by that. But it seems that the show can't decide whether this whether these uh whether there really is free will and why. And there's all this discussion, like especially of Dolores, right? Like, you know, so we can finally be free. Because you're free, Teddy. You know, it's like who is free here? You're mm-hmm. still, you know, I mean, you were given this consciousness or whatever by ford you're still following your programming your programming has limits on your behavior um you know how are you i mean they you know then they talk about how the humans are caught in their loops too you know like that's a clever idea but does that mean that there really isn't any free will because all of us are just basically in some sort of loop or does that mean that you know as the show wants to imply at the end that really only these these uh, hosts that are somehow freed now will have free will. What does that divide? None of this makes any sense. Well, look, because again, like you say, this idea of free will, um, like you say, Dolores hasn't got free will. Teddy definitely hasn't got free will because he keeps, all he does is follow Dolores and then, and then he is enforceably has his... Um, programming changed to make him more ruthless so that she, she feels he wouldn't survive so that's not free will. that like that's enforced upon him so i'm like okay well you've taken away if there is a free will you've literally taken that away from him to change it so you know and it does have this idea that and that's the core concept of this season is it oh well we're all caught in our loops eh? hey we all get up go to work and do things that's that's the that was the kicker for that conversation in the writer's room um, but then, like you say, it doesn't want to explore it because, it, well, it hasn't got an answer. Um, because th- you know, then you could say, well, there should be a d- if you want to do that, have a debate between the principal Delos person or someone that's going to be coming up and uh, and Dolores about this idea of free will. And they don't; they never really want to get into that because. <laughs> You know, if and if everyone is caught in their loop, then what's the point of digitizing people? Because we're just going to be caught in the same loops. We won't, we won't evolve. We don't, you know, these sorts of things. It, it, it doesn't want to try and address that. It just wants to show you the cool visuals and, and these 
like, like what they call them sort of like just big concepts it wants to yeah. throw a big concept in but without really sort of like giving you uh you know an answer to it or even a suggestion or, or like an opinion in that matter really well, it seems to me that it gives different answers depending on the scene you know depending mm. on what the what the rhetorical needs are of that particular scene but there's no world view right um i mean dolores is you know loves to spout off on this stuff but you said that like teddy clearly doesn't have free will how is once she's once he's been reprogrammed how is that different from any of them including mm. dolores she's been merged with wyatt none yeah. of this if, if teddy doesn't have free will i mean we have free will we choose to follow right if you think that we have free will we choose to follow our programming tells us you know i'm a leader or a follower to to one degree or another and mm-hmm. this person is inspiring or or has a good enough plan that I, I will subscribe to it. We're making those same determinations. Teddy's making that determination. I don't he does disobey and let those people go. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have free will. She's been reprogrammed, you know, to merge with Wyatt. Now, you can say those are her memories. But at some point, uh, Arnold just put that wild code in her. Right. Yeah. And all of them ultimately are following the code that was put in them. Um, now they might evolve and and make a path of decisions within that code, within the parameters of that code, um, that then over time cause them to evolve. But isn't that what we all do? Yeah, and, and that's the sort of the, all the main characters. You know, say they don't want to sort of they like I say they chop and change. The only time that this really comes up in a in a in a in a well structured and a, a way that really to me defines that you know that free will is probably possible and because these decisions are made sensibly is the the, the episode with the Native American. Now this has, now this brings its own plot problems, but it's a beautiful episode. It's one episode that follows this this one robot. I've got the name. Because I, I believe I was actually saying it wrong in the last one, but um, Acti or what? I've lost it. But anyway, um, there you go. Um, Akita, Aki. We'll call him Aki for now. Um, but he he is. We're so um, we're so racist. We're so, so we're sorry. so racist. White two white men who can't love our favorite episode. We can't even get the guy's name right. And I I, I didn't bother researching this and. Yeah, <laughs> writing notes down because we're redoing this. Well, uh, yeah, I, I tried to pronounce it earlier. And I think I got it <laughs> right, but I forgot to check. I mean, but th- this episode's fantastic, and you know, this idea of they create um, a peaceful uh, Native American, you know, uh, uh, um, village, and they're all there. They're doing their thing. You know, they're living in peace with the with the nature and the hunting and doing all this other stuff, and it's very sort of tranquil. And then there's this notion of um, they're not uh, they're not interesting enough for the guests, so they introduce the Ghost Nation, which is a very aggressive, um, you know, tribe, and they can be a danger, and they can do all this stuff. And so this one uh, host is brought in; he's taken from the peaceful village to become a Ghost Nation. And then at some point, he breaks his not really breaks his program, and he he gains his own sentience. Uh, and in doing so, starts to question, you know, sort of like where he's come from, what the park is, and all this other stuff. And he remembers his partner, this 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 woman, this female host he was partnered with, and he has a feelings for it, he has emotions, and he starts to make strategic decisions 
camouflaging himself and blending in and doing this other stuff to, to get back in with her and to explore the park. That, to me, shows an element of free will. Like, he, he's not just running around, you know, he isn't glitching or running around crazed at any point. He just sort of accepts that this thing seems to have happened. He learns this thing because he even makes, at one point, they start to recognise that family members that they used to have have come back different, like literally like mm. look different. And, you know, they're programmed not to recognise it, but they start to recognise it and all this other stuff. Um, and at no point does he sort of go, you know, he's not going like, oh my God, revolution. God, this thing. It's just a simple story of love of like, okay, well, that's the woman I love. And he teaches her sort of a level of sentience and they're going to get out of the park. Mm. And that to me is of like, again, this idea of sort of free will is like, no, no, I'm not taking on the big thing. I'm just, you know, looking after myself. <clears throat> and then when he meets Ford, the fact that like Ford's been following him for all these years is brilliant. I love that, that Ford's like, oh, no, no, you're, I haven't, you're not part of my master plan, really. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not too worried about you, but you're fascinating that you have kept your head down and you've, you know, you haven't um, gone off track. You've kept in your loop to, you know, to almost like under deep cover. <laughs> um, I, I just find all that fascinating. And then he does become sort of part of the sort of the end story, but still it's, uh, it's a really well done episode that does introduce these concepts of, like you say, it, it's, it's, but it contradicts a little bit of what Dolores is saying. Um, well, we'll go into those contradictions in a moment. And I, I think, you know, you have some brilliant observations there. Um, but as far as, you know, I mean, I also love this episode. I, I agree as a single episode, it is the best episode of the, of the uh, mm. season for sure. And that's partially because those other episodes with the flashbacks are interspersed with more present day material. Um, this episode, uh, which is amazing, it's the penultimate episode, and mm -hmm. it's like all flashback. Um, and it, it also just it visually works, it poetically works. I do have some problems, like how is he? You know, we've already seen how hard it is to sneak around the Delos. You know, the yeah. the main area. He's just going down into the basement. You know, um, but it is still it's heartbreaking. It's poetic. Um, you know, it's it's a fantastic, fantastic episode. And it makes him a major, major player and a main character, mm. although not really, right? He's not really important to season two. Um, so, but the point about free will, like, I mean, I would say he is, he has been programmed with an ability to survive and to make observations about his environment. It's haunting seeing him find you know like the the actual delos kind of like underground mm. you know structures and, and seeing this and you know um and it's implied his his family other people have seen since this replacement too right this is not limited to the two of them so this clearly means that sentient stuff that you know this is not a uh program that ford put into them right none of this really makes any sense it it, it is only makes sense in that really deterministic uh, world in which, yes, they were programmed with an ability to parse their environment, to make observations. Um, and while it, it kind of doesn't make sense that, you know, why are they able to see it and their brains aren't saying doesn't look like anything to me? OK, but put that aside, they can look at their environment and make observations. Um, it's not that there's no threshold to free will, right? There's no mm -hmm. threshold to consciousness. 
But, you know, think about us. We're the same way. We evolved as animals mm-hmm. that, you know, take advantage of our environment. We evolved greater tool-making abilities, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we're a- but we're able to make rational, adaptive decisions about our environment. You run that forward and you get skyscrapers, right? You just yeah. run those, you know, once you have the invention of tools, you have writing, you know, other animals use tools too, but we just went further down that road and eventually the space shuttle is a tool, right? Yeah. The Apollo program mm. is a tool. Um, this is a natural development. It's not like we have any more free will than my dog does. You know, my dog chooses to obey most of the time, you know, um, but she does so, she chooses to obey. I don't see that as any different than how I deal with, you know, the control, the structures of control around me. And Mm -hmm. I don't see that as any different from any of these hosts. So wherefore free will? No, it's a good point. I, I, the point you made there about it being a natural, um, you know, the, the fact that sentience isn't programmed into them, it sort of it seems like a natural event. I mean, one of the things to point out is this 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 Native American character seems to have achieved sentience even before the what the first Wyatt incident. Like he seems to he witnesses that in the aftermath. So, you know, so um, the, the uh, you know the uh, Arnold doing all that experimentation sort of seems like well it was a natural event it was going to happen anyway it's just you know was he doing something to to progress it so um, is it like I say just a natural evolution you've given them enough their programming and this sort of you know this complexity of, of their consciousness or programming is enough that sentience will be achieved through just through observation around and you know their surroundings could it have happened naturally if he hadn't have um, intervened in that way um so no, i suppose you know we're all controlled by the events and us, the structures that exist around us like you know free will yeah i can't go out into the street right now in just a pair of pants and think just because i want to you know you can well i can but there's things that like, you know that will prevent me from doing so my wife predominantly <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, but but the thing is, you can, but there's no universe, right? Of all of the parallel universes, there's of quantum separation and ever. Yeah, there's no universe in which you decide right now, based on this conversation. You know what? I'm going to prove I have free will. Yeah. I'm going to go out there and do that. And and if there is no universe in which you you do that, how are we any different? Yeah, no, it's true. So it's about, I suppose, it's about. Your social, I suppose it comes down to all the things that come in place, everything from the social contract to, you know, um, employment, need, need to survive. You know, we're still programmed to survive. I think that's the key, isn't it, really? You're programmed to survive in the in the community that you exist. Mm-hmm. If I was to walk out in just a pair of underpants right now, I'm not entirely sure the community in which I exist would be particularly pleased, <laughs> especially, yeah, I... the old, especially the old woman who lives over the roads. <laughs> I live uh, in such a rural environment. I mean, I can do that and <laughs> not have a problem. But um, and and you make me want to <laughs> just leave the podcast and do that just to prove that I can. But also, I recognize that's part of my contrarian brain, right? Mm-hmm. Part of my brain, and this is this is actually a problem, you know, in in many relationships uh, that I have in long term. 
you know, with a lot of people, right? There's that contrarian, like, oh, really? You're going to tell me I can't go out there in my underwear? <laughs> well, damn it, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Um, but we're making rational decisions or irrational decisions in prefabricated ways um, mm -hmm. about our own survival. Um, I mean, I, the other thing about the Native American episode is is that it feels like it's nice that these these Native Americans have been, you know, given our own history as a country of them, uh, you know, basically the genocide of, of Native Americans in my country uh, laid the groundwork for racial slavery. And that genocide continues to this day. Mm -hmm. Go to any reservation that doesn't have goddamn running water, you yeah. know, in some places. And you will see a a black stain of shame that continues on my country. Um, and I think that it's nice to kind of, um, I think that the show wants to not rectify that, but, but give this nice nod to uh, the native American characters on the show to have, be like, Oh, they were, they were here first. They literally got here first. Yeah. If for, here is consciousness, right? Sentience. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it, it does screw with it, and it makes for one of the most beautiful episodes, you know, just touching. The ending is beautiful, uh, you know. Having said that, like you said, it really screws with the timeline. Some, you know, I just want you want to go back in time and just slap Arnold on the head and just go like, you know, no, look over there. Le yeah, leave it. It. <laughs> it happens. Leave it alone. I mean, one of the one of the things I like about this episode, just before we move on to the very ending, is there's a moment when he does get taken into the laboratory, and they're running diagnostics on him, and they're like, he's a version, whatever, he's like version three. And they're like, okay, well, where, where, how old's that? This is obviously, is it tracking through time? And they're like, he hasn't been updated for 10 years. And so he's been sort of like skulking around the park with sentience, like livid and doing and stuff like for 10, for a decade before it gets picked up and stuff. And I think, so this episode, although it messes with the timeline, it, it provides it within itself, a really good uh, indicator of the expanse of time that has happened with all these events. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating episode and, and a, a good piece of TV. Um, well, the, the William flashbacks, also, mm. you know, and I love Logan as the drug addict, like passed over, uh, mm. you know, that always haunts me, you know, the sort of like, you know, I know what's going on here. You know, my time has passed uh, in my more depressed moments. I'm, I'm Logan, you know, um, but uh, th that also has an expanse of time, you know, mm. and, and there is so much time. Season one establishes that timeline. And there's so much there. But the other thing we haven't mentioned is in these flashbacks, we see outside of the park for the first time, Yeah, you know, uh, which is also great. So there's a lot of if we had done that flashback sort of miniseries, it could take place over this expanse of time. And whereas season one kind of screwed with you with these two timelines and then a third sort of before then with Wyatt, mm. um, you could have really got a much more lived a sense of lived experience in Westworld over a span of decades and actually understood the plot and the timeline a lot better. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I will say is that, that's interesting about that expansive time is, is the fact that, uh, you know, yeah, software gets updated. They make these replications they make, or they make these changes and upgrades. Their hardware is really impressive if it's lasting 30 plus years and they're not really you know they're not doing a great deal to it really impressive i don't think i own anything 
that you know i would say technology of 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> well i mean they have changed to the like biological model mm. right which we don't really see that happening with uh with the native americans right there's no like we're going to scrap, you know, we're going to replace your leg with a new biological yeah. leg. Like, you know, I don't know how that really works. It's a really interesting because it seems to be sort of the park is filled with this. And it comes up later because we know it from season three, at least, you will see the original um, Dolores model. You know, the, the sort of like the, the, the chassis. And then you also see the biological versions as well. Um, but one of the things we do see, and we'll get on to the end of this, I think it's great. One of the my favourite scenes, uh, parts of it make no real sense, but Maeve gets captured and she gets injured, and, and we, we need to talk about, quickly talk about her powers as well, is when she's revealed to be like, you know, God. the saviour mother of, of everything. She comes out draped in the, in the you know, the, the shawl and everything. It, it, it looks great because she's then surrounded by bison, you know, and it plows down the sort of the Delos uh, soldiers. But some of them are like incomplete and sort of you can see the metalwork <laughs> underneath and it's like knocking those soldiers out of the way and one of them goes over a balcony. Again, like visually, like, you know, it's all done in slow-mo and stuff. Like, it all looks spectacular. Like, it looks phenomenal. Like, you know, like you say, the HBO money is well spent on the sets and the special effects. Like, it looks superb. Um, but like you say, I think literally is the final thing we'll talk about before we get to the end. It is, is Maeve's new powers that it's, ex, it's explained in the first season. And it's hinted, it's explained again briefly in the second is that part of their interaction between the hosts is like a limited network. They can, they can pass information between each other in order to sort of like, you know, to facilitate conversations and things like that. Maeve then basically becomes like a Wi-Fi network. I don't know. <laughs> and she can change other hosts' programming for to free them or to, to stop them from doing things and to control them and to kill themselves and all kinds of different bits and pieces. But it sort of comes out of nowhere and is overused, I'd say, in this show. But like, you know, what are your I can tell from what you're looking at, what are your thoughts on that that power that she gets? Yeah, I mean, I, w I want to kill myself just thinking about this whole plot line. Uh, you know, uh, oh God, I'm going to get, you know, it, it's Marvel level stupid. OK, mm. um, you know, <laughs> they, oh, I can just see the comments below the, the video <laughs> now. Um, but, you know, um, it makes no sense. I mean, I think this net thing uh, isn't even in season one that I recall. I think I, I think it's first mentioned in season two, right. but, but it's, but it's, if you have that, like entire plots are based on not being able to find certain hosts, right? Mm. Mm. We can't find Abernathy, right? Oh, really? He's connected to this like net thing. That's like yeah. passing signals back and forth. Right. I mean, you can understand why you'd have that, but then, you know, you get into like, you know, why would you, you know, first of all, why can you not find these hosts? Yeah, why that you bothers me more than Yeah, and the host that uh, uh, Ford has in his little house, right? Which mm. isn't important in season two. They just kill yeah. off young Ford <laughs> right away. That never comes back. I mean, they should be still connected to that network. Um, you know, how does this, you know, so many problems with why you can't find the host. If you can, if first of all why does this matrix like neo power i always think of that materialize 
Um, in it, it just spontaneous. It's like a spontaneous mutation. She's a she's a robot mutant like the X Men. Um, why does this materialize in her? Um, if she has the power to do it, clearly Delos would have the power to override code, and you see them doing that in season yeah. one, right? You know, overriding code on the fly. Yet they never, you know, seem to do that in season two. Um, they don't even do it in season one when they need to do it. Well, no, we see Bernard do it in season two to himself and some other bits, but like no one else ever does it. So no one sort of says like, you know, and and they have Maeve <clears throat> on a slab at one point. And, you know, they, they that's the whole point is they recognize that she has this power. So they're like, look, we can we can sell this. This becomes a commodity. Um well, we can we can steal this power and use yeah. it to take over the you know stop the robot revolution going on. Except, you know, how is this a power? Like, you know, it's not like there's like a line of code in Maeve's code that's like this is the code that lets you take control of other hosts, and and everybody looks at it and it's like I don't even understand how that code works, but it seems to work. This is such a basic function. Either you know how to do this or you don't. Well, let's say, how does it works? I mean, how does it materialize? It has to have been there before. Like, code doesn't just spring into existence. Like, it's it's literal, you know, digits and letters and and and, and font. Like, it's there. So, yeah, I, I don't know where it comes from. I, I, yeah, it gets overused. Uh, and the only time, you know, it's because they're they're basically framing up uh, their main characters towards the end to be. Uh, it's almost biblical, isn't it? They're trying to like she's set up to be the 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 savior, you know. So you've got the revolutionary, you've got the savior, uh, and of the different things. So it's meant to be like it's meant to be sort of Maeve versus Dolores of like this this ideology. It never really comes to that because the end gets incredibly messy. But that was that's, that's how it felt to me. It's almost like this biblical savior that can do these things. The one. Mm. You know, yeah. it is. It's the one. It's, it's Neo, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, he can just control. Yeah, they are making by the end of this series, they're making Dolores the villain clearly, um, and Maeve is setting up to be this potential um, savior of of the robot or the host generation, and that's what then leads into the finale of they all get to the valley beyond, and then they get the sky beam, and they can then go on to this digital paradise. Um, to to live as a as a consciousness, which is the same technology which has been used to digitize the host or uh, the guests' consciousness. Um, which, yeah, stealing wantonly from the Matrix at this point, really. Um, but this ended so confused and so messy and so sort of like all over the place. I mean, the fact it brings back Clementine to sort of act as a sort oh, of like they've given Clementine the same code. Uh, as as Maeve um, mm-hmm. to then ride through, and again, like you know, like riding through on a white horse, and all these people sort of collapsing behind her. I'm like, I get what you're trying to do. I understand the visuals of like you know, right. death riding a, a pale horse. Awesome but, like, visuals. It looks but... fantastic, yeah, yeah. but it, it it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't lead to anything. Right, and then stupid, you know, the the stupidity of having. Um of having Maeve just stand there and say, you know, like, I'll hold them off. Yet another stupid sacrifice. 
Um, well, you know, and Maeve always forgets, you know, like all superhero stories, unfortunately, Maeve forgets she has these powers most yeah. of the time. You know, it's like, you know, Superman, you know, you can fly, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, does it in most scenes. Uh, yeah, I mean, this again, this finale is so confused. It has it has a lot of great visuals, but it's filled with just dumb stuff. Um including we find out that the the valley beyond has been flooded but it clearly has been flooded by the um by the um what is it the the um cooling fluid cooling, of yeah. the the coolant right the, mm. how much coolant do they have for these computers <laughs> a lake's worth apparently yeah you can I mean, sail across it and you know like Dolores doesn't care like there's this whole thing of um that to the show's credit the, you're shown that only the host can see the the beam into the sky right that creates this cool little ripple like thing and and going into this paradise right but the paradise is virtual um okay you know why is there's this other virtual world that Dolores goes into that you know visualizes books as this is a little bit like, you know, like the memory rooms in, in yeah. shows that are just kind of stupid. But she's opposed to this virtual world, this virtual paradise, because she says it's not real. It's just another control as if everything isn't right. Yeah. But then she makes her peace with it. Um, and everybody else just wants to get into this virtual world, which is like, I mean, the thing is. Why, you know, if that was Ford's plan, right, that that is really the freedom that Ford wants for them mm -hmm. or they have the choice, quote unquote, to go into that. Right. OK, fuck that. All you needed to do was remember that backup thing mm -hmm. that you just blew up for no reason. All you needed to do was like upload a computer virus that takes those backups, puts them into that virtual world and segregates it where the humans can't destroy it. Done. End of well, story. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It becomes this dramatic ending. I mean, the whole point is they've got some sort of like weird laser gun that's going to fire the information up into a satellite, and that's going to be this protected di digital world that's going to orbit the Earth, and they can do what they want there. Fine. But like I say, it just becomes so over-convoluted, um, you know, the whole thing. It's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's like they've done the reveal of the digitization of, of consciousness that like you say, you see this, this version, she gets presented with this version of this library of all the guests that have ever been there. And the hats have had a brim, a rim in them to sort of read people's consciousness and stuff. And you go, okay, that's fine. I, I, I'm, you know, it's technology that I'm willing to accept. It's a future world, not a problem. And if anything, this is probably what would happen anyway in a corporate environment. Yeah. All right. I can accept that. What are you going to use it for? Well, we're trying to protect, you know, perfect this immortality through digitization. But you've just got this sat in a server in the middle of Westworld. Why are they not in a protected? Why they're in a protected building somewhere off? Like this makes no sense. Um, and then, like you say, they use this then to then they've got all the backups of all the hosts, and it's it's sort of it just becomes this thing of like, look, servers here, servers there. This is this, this is, and it just becomes this info dump of stuff at the end when there's a much cleaner way of doing this, uh, but they, they can't help themselves. It's like the writers just can't help themselves adding convolution to this repeatedly um, and yeah, backing and, themselves into a bit of a corner, really. 
And if there are moments where they realize, like, well, if there are these backups, why did we just not send those somewhere, right? You know, if there are those backups, it doesn't really matter who gets killed. You can just kill everybody and just resurrect them. Mm. And in fact, don't forget there's there's yet another twist in (laughs) this convoluted finale, which is Bernard kills, shoots and kills Dolores, right? And then you find out that he, you know, here's another problem I have. Uh, you find out that he comes to regret it. I, you know, one of the things that is the worst thing you could say about any show or any uh, piece of fiction is that characters have changes of hearts that aren't really earned and aren't really, you know, um, Mm. motivated. That they just decide, like, you know what? This thing I've been fighting for 10 episodes for, I'm going to take the opposite side. Now that I see... Like, oh, it never occurred to me that destroying the world would involve people dying. But now that I see somebody dying, I'm going to save the world to turn against Magneto. No. You know, like, yeah. I mean, and this happens, Bernard, this happens, Dolores does it. She decides to that this fantasy world is, the VR world is okay. Um, you know, Bernard does it where he decides, oh, I was wrong to kill Dolores. And we find out, twist! Mm-hmm. That you know, he puts Dolores into uh, Tessa. Uh, is that her name? Tess uh, Thompson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Charlotte. Thank you. And uh, so you know, now we're supposed to believe that all through the two weeks later narrative, Tessa uh, or Charlotte was really Dolores. Mm-hmm. Dolores has been dead, um, but she didn't. Charlotte didn't act that way. She clearly made decisions that were not as Dolores. You know, it's so convoluted and stupid. Oh, and then uh, other twist is the guard. uh, I'm sorry, the security guard is. uh, Yeah, yeah. he's a he's a host, too. Spoilers. But this is what I'm saying. Like They can't help themselves. They keep adding to this convolution. It's like, look, you don't doesn't need to happen this doesn't forward anything it doesn't mean anything stop doing it like just keep this clean mm-hmm. and it, you know we'll, we'll get onto when we get onto season three like there's a whole heap of this but it, it's almost like they, they in almost that, that Shyamalan way is they get a bit self-satisfied with twists and sort of like you know well you didn't know this did you you didn't know that Ooh. and so yeah but I didn't need to know that it's not relevant to the plot it's not a big twist <clears throat> because you weren't trying to trick me into another way of thinking i just didn't know because i didn't care <coughs> like the thing of stubbs being a the head of security being a host there's no point in the plot where that being a thing would be relevant it just sort of they just reveal it at the end and you're like oh tidbit of information for me thanks very much doesn't make any difference right <coughs> yeah it mean it's it. kind of like that's cool that kind of makes sense but how was that how can we look back and say oh clearly he was always a host that's not yeah. important. The twist is what's important. Yeah, at no point do you look back and go, well, him knowing that at the start of this series would have changed the story in any way. No, it, it most definitely wouldn't. It makes no sense. So, anyway, we shall bring this one to a close. We've been sort of touching on the points. It's a bit of a run-through on this one. but And we have, because we've been focusing, I think we've been quite harsh on it, but... Yes. Well, I just want to say that, you know, you and I, one of the themes of the show has always been you and I saying we prefer the quieter narratives, right? The Mm. smaller Mm. narratives. Not every story has to be, you know, about the world coming to an end, Mm. right? Um, 
you know, I mean, this is why, like, uh, you know, Logan is a better movie than, you know, uh, X-Men or whatever. Um, you know, the stuff that stands out in Westworld, even that first episode that I never stopped praising, it's a quiet episode. It's about, you know, a guy coming to Westworld and we find out he's really a, a, a host and Dolores winds up killing a fly. That's it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. awesome. All of the stuff that we love in season two, it's like, you know, all this quiet, all the flashback stuff, you know, mm. it's, it's the take one idea and tease that idea out, explore all of the implications of that idea and make our minds go boom, you know, thinking like, oh yeah, of course that would happen. That's fascinating. And it might play out in a scene between two people, but it's fascinating and we love it throw in some nice visuals and some some audio, I'm set. You're set. We're going to love that. This has to do everything in the kitchen sink and, yeah. you know, in the end, does not, um, does not, um, none of those elements wind up being successful. Having said that, you're right, this isn't all bad. And I think 50% of the show, of the season, I want to, like, do a edit on the computer of, like, seasons one and two. And you can do it maybe minimal added stuff um and it would just be a fantastic show i mean half of what's here is among some of the best sci-fi television ever made and i'm talking season two half of season two is as good as just about any sci-fi television ever done it's just that the other half is so lackluster and so committed to those moments rather than having anything to say or any plot to speak of no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, like I said, there are moments in this where every character has a moment to shine. You know, every every main character has a moment to shine. One of those quiet moments where they are doing something, or there's a conversation. It, it can even be action-orientated, but there's something there. William has some fantastic moments. The man in black, like, you know, he's great. And Ed Harris is just superb. Um you know, and but then when you see those flashbacks of him aging up as he sort of keeps bringing back the old man to 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 try and do this sentient stuff, the moment where Teddy commits suicide uh, and uh, you know Dolores's reaction to that is is heartbreaking uh, and beautifully well done, and and you know uh, James Marsden does a fantastic job, um, and so there are these moments continually, and again like Maeve, like I said, Thandie Newton is clearly the star. Like she's done a fun. She does even even when it's garbage. Like and there are moments in this show where you like <laughs> the, the dialogue's a bit crap, and the, you know the action doesn't look great. But she is just superb throughout this season. Um, and so yeah, there are moments in this. That I I would say yeah, I would happily watch that again. That moment. Would I watch the whole season again? Yeah, not for a while. Like I may go back in a couple of years and reassess it. But it's because where there's highs, they are high, and I'm really invested. And for example, that whole thing, like you know, the the the, the thing with Dolores, like there are moments when it's very good, like even the bit where she she forces Teddy to, you know, to, to have his programming change. He's still in a he's still in a train car. There's a conversation there, and then she has it taken, and you can see the remorse and sort of like the regret of having to do that on her face, and it plays out well. When you think, oh, that's an interesting character beat. But then you've just seen her kill a bunch of bloody, you know, uh, <laughs> soldiers for no reason. So I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't pan out. So it's this, it's this give and take that it seems to do continually. So 
the first series to me, the first season was was it was exceptional. There's some amazing stuff in that, like you know, uh, and this season's still good, but just lesser. But it feels like it's just less thought out. Maybe they didn't have the time to do it. Maybe they had years to formulate the first season, and then only had a couple of months to do this one. I don't know, but it just doesn't feel as well thought out or as well or as robust in that way. Well, it's a thing. I mean, they took take two years between seasons, but I mean, it's that thing where sequels wind up sort of often. Sh- they often wind up showing the flaws that were there in the first one mm. that you know uh, sort of bothered you. I mean, I think like you know the the Bay Transformers things are like this, right? Where like there, I love the first one, but all of the flaws of the first one are will just be exaggerated <laughs> more and more and more until yes. it's just horrifying. Um, and all of those those things that bothered us in season one, which I think overall it's fair to say we both loved, mm. just be are are there in season two and run amok. Yes. I would say so. Um, yeah, it, it's still worth seeing. Go check it out if you mm-hmm. haven't watched it, and we haven't, we, you know, we haven't actually spoiled it as much as I thought we would. So there's still bits and nuggets in there to go and find out. But you know, do check it out. But yeah, that's been that's been season two of Westworld, and it's been a bit of a whistle stop tour, a bit shorter than our usual episode, still quite longer than we thought. But um, that's season two. If you want to come and talk to us, shout at us, tell us off because we're completely wrong about our thoughts on Westworld to, uh, season two. Come and find us at, at Pod Time Space on Twitter, and we are happy to talk about it. I think it'll be a fantastic, fascinating conversation. Uh, but Julian, thank you very much, as always. Uh, My pleasure. An absolute treat to be, uh, you know, uh, rounding this bad boy up. Uh, and in the next episode, we'll be sort of seeing out this whole thing as to. Uh, it may be the last season, may not be. I think the season four has been commissioned, but whether it reaches us, I don't know. But we'll be taking on season three, which is a very different uh, beast. Uh, but we take on season three of Westworld in the next episode. So thank you very much, guys. We shall see you on the next episode. <laughs>